0: Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice, in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome back, Dr. Maurice.
1: It's uh, great to be here. Yep, Uh, it's hard to believe actually We're getting towards the end of summer. I was just in northern Minnesota, and some of the leaves are already turning. It's like, oh,
0: Don't say that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Sorry, but it's true.
0: I know, I know. I kind of feel like we need to make the most of every day and really be in the present. Now, of course, every day brings interesting ideas and challenges, and we've been talking about COVID. I want to continue in that vein about leadership during the times of change and uncertainty, and I know that You, Dr. Maurice, have done a lot of work building a cohesive leadership team since you've been chair of our Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology here at Mayo. And so I'm curious, from your standpoint, how did that leadership team respond when COVID first arrived on the scene and how that evolved? And what were ways that you adapted your communication style with your leadership team to provide ongoing information to our staff?
1: I'm glad you're asking this question because... With COVID, we've been so focused on the here and now, which is important. That's why a lot of us feel like we're in the spin cycle a lot. Is because we're talking about such specific things with COVID and data and all these other things. And stepping back and thinking about the big picture it becomes very difficult. To your point, uh, one of the things I've been passionate about since I took this role and even before is just the whole concept of cohesion and having an effective leadership really needs having an effective leadership team. And I was very much influenced by the work of Pat Lencioni and the table group, who he's a a real thought leader in organizational health. And his approach is really that organizational health starts with a cohesive leadership team. And that means that a team that's multidisciplinary that can really communicate well and talk about difficult issues and reach some sort of conclusion that the entire team can support, even if it's not necessarily the conclusion they would have drawn on their own. So, and that was, as you know, uh, for us, trying to figure out how to balance the needs of Mayo Clinic Labs and the patients that reach us through Mayo Clinic Labs versus the patients that are on our campuses is a really an issue we've, we've had to contend with since I've been in this department for the last 20 plus years. So having a team to first, to your point, before all this hit, we really were focused on building a, t- a leadership team that had both representation of the Mayo Clinic practice and our research and education and interests along with the Mayo Clinic Labs needs and bringing them together into a single leadership team, which we called the DLMP MCL leadership team. And we had worked at it and it takes work. And I Mm -hmm. I am always reticent to talk about this because we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. It's very aspirational, but it takes a lot of work um, to actually have a group that feels comfortable disagreeing with each other, voicing different opinions, challenging each other's conclusions. I mean, that's what we had been working on even before this all started.
0: Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. I've been also reading Pat Lencioni's work, uh, not to the extent that you have really studied it, but I was very just uh, taken by his concept that it all is built on trust. You start with trust, and if you have trust in your leadership group, then you can challenge one another, and you can have conflict, and you think, well, conflict that sounds bad but it's actually a good thing because it means that people can actually express their opinion and then you can all talk about it you can talk about the pros and cons and eventually you get buy-in accountability and then you could set data-driven goals but if everyone's too quiet that they don't even speak up then you don't even get that valuable input from the members of your team and you have no idea that some of them might not actually have bought into your plan and then of yeah. course, that's just a recipe for failure. People don't buy in, they're going to say, well, I never agreed to that. And so I've really admired the work you've been doing and building that leadership team built on trust.
1: Yeah, well, no, it's cool. And it, I think it's cool. Well, first of all, thank yeah. you. Um, <laughs> and I, for those who might be interested or listening, I actually did a podcast with Pat Luncioni in the early days of the pandemic. He reached out to me. Uh, we work with someone from his team that works directly with us. Uh, Mike McCarhew is his name. And we've done a lot of the team building with him. So there's a podcast out there. I'll maybe repost it on my social media on Twitter so people can see it. It was very uh, gratifying to me because to be for him to reach out because it's he's an amazing person. And the reason he did was because I was so glad we had invested energy into that work because clearly in a time of stress it's when those communication channels become really important and very much impossible to build in the setting of in, when you're in the midst of the maelstrom, right? If you right. don't have really effective communication, and you can imagine. So I was at a meeting with Pence on in March 3rd or 4th, and I come back and we basically have to talk about how we're going to set up Mayo Clinic Labs to be part of the national testing solution for a test that doesn't exist. I mean, that was essentially right. the challenge that we had in front of us. And so having that team, Dr. Binnaker, who is very visible because he's an expert virologist, as well as our practice chair, who is part of that team. Dr. Salama, who is the, the chief medical officer for Mayo Clinic Labs, uh, but also as an eye to global health because of you know, being from Egypt. He's part of that team. Scott Beck, critical understanding of the operation. So essentially, what happened was under the pressure of COVID, we actually were able to coalesce around the communication that we had built as opposed to having that pressure fragment us because we hadn't spent the time working together. I think a lot of what happened after that really speaks to the work that we had done before that. And it's really played out any, you look at any deconstruction of stressful situations that have gone well and those that haven't, it's almost always predicated on good communication. There's always, a, and this, all right, that's a Pat Lincione thing, but it's not the organizational uh, smarts that get you through, it's the organizational health. And there's just like, to your point, there's a lot of really smart people at Mayo Clinic, a lot of people a lot smarter than me, my job is to figure out how to tap into them so they, they understand what's going on and can contribute to it or let us know what we might be doing, going their wrong direction.
0: Right. And having that cohesive team gave you the foundation, it sounds like, for now dealing with this time of great change and uncertainty with the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's talk about communication then. What did you do? What steps did you take then to immediately start keeping everyone up to date and having that communication stream from leadership?
1: Well, so the first thing we did was after we met as our small leadership team, which is six people, we said, okay, what we need to do now is expand the stakeholder group that's coming together. Because clearly there's all sorts of things. We had to be reporting to the White House, literally, and Dr. Frugia, essentially, to the White House, uh, all the way to being able to understand what needs to happen in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, or, or, you know, in Albert Lee, Minnesota. So we put together a command center that had a kind of a coalescence of all the different operational stakeholders, as well as the medical scientific stakeholders, still led by that same thought process of cohesive leadership. So our small team would decide what needs to be done, but then we would immediately engage with a larger group in a command center format where we communicated daily in real time We had the data literally in those early days on the walls of the room that we were in uh, so we could see it, so we could write stuff on the whiteboard about what needed to happen or where there were stress points. That was a really key part of this. And uh, one of the things that's really cool about that was we were very operationally focused. One of my passions, it seems like I have a few, uh, is around innovation. (laughs) So I also said, as we're thinking about operationalizing what we have, we also have to start thinking about how do we create what we don't now and not waiting. So that same cohesive leadership teams decide, yes, innovation is equally important. So we we're able to set up the innovation work stream in those early days, which has led to the neutralizing antibody study test that's out, has led to a lot of the things that we're working on there. So that was the early days was the command center. But then the other piece of that was how do you get beyond that command center of 15 or 20 people?
0: I remember those days when the command center really was a physical center. And yes. I remember the whiteboards and the statistics and of course now we're all virtual but we have so much more data and I, I would argue we're even more well connected which is kind of cool.
1: Yeah and I would argue too that the relationships that we built in those early days are really important because everyone now even when we had to be virtual people know who they need to call and they're comfortable calling you know and that includes right. people on my own and our you know the, Dr. Janetto, who's done an amazing job in helping to manage the supply chain now knows how he can escalate stuff to Scott and I directly if need be but to include you know you as in your role as division chair of Clint Micro as a, mm-hmm. as a for instance it's been really good but the other big piece of that was how do we get information out to an organization of 4000 people plus and their families who are all being affected by this not only by covid itself but to hearing about what's mail going to have to do with furloughs and employee it's very much a life-saving exercise for, where uh, because I trained as a lifeguard, we had to think about helping those around us, but we also had to think about how do we preserve ourselves as Mayo Clinic. I mean, everyone was going through the same thing, so that was the other big piece for us, and that's where the town hall concept really took off.
0: Yeah, so before we get into that, so just to kind of recap, so you had your key leadership team, a smaller group of dedicated individuals with standardized roles, like chief medical officer of Mayo Clinic Labs, or, and your division chairs, your, uh, vice chairs of education research supply chain but then you instituted the command center yep. which encompassed more individuals really yep. focusing on covid so now you're building upon that for your town hall so can you tell us a bit about what a town hall is and
1: sure how did that yeah come about? well first of all i mean again going back to the panel and juni method they emphasize communication and over communication right another great if people want to read an example uh, it's American Icon, which is the story of Ford during the economic crisis in 2009. And Alan Mulally, who was a really good friend of Pat Lencioni and how he used that in practice. Because, of course, they also had to communicate out to a big global company. And we're not that big. So th- what we did, though, was just we wanted a forum where people could just interact with us and ask questions. We could share what we're doing and they could ask questions and challenge us. So the town hall, what we did, it's basically was Scott and I. Sometimes with participation by Dr. Bineker and Dr. Salama, just making these ourselves available by live video conference where people can actually ask questions live on Slido, uh, which we can see and we can respond to. So it became a, an interactive environment where we could share what we knew. I could share where we were headed. My thoughts as the leader of the department and the organization. And then people could ask us questions and challenge us on what, what, where things were headed
0: you know, as someone who's participated in these town halls by watching it every week and by using Slido to ask questions, I've been impressed by by how we've done this virtually, and it's been going on now for quite a while, and yet every week there's more questions, and so I see it as a really powerful way to have that two-way conversation with the staff. I would have thought by now that people would get tired of talking about COVID, but, you know, the information keeps changing, and it's kind of information overload, so I've personally found the town hall a really good reality check to say, okay, well, wait a second. There's this new stuff coming out, but here's what it means to you, and, you know, that kind of prompted me to ask you about talking about communication, because clearly there's an ongoing need, and here we are. Summer's almost over, as you so cruelly reminded us. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we've been doing this since March, and yet there's still that need from the staff to have their questions answered about what we're, what's going on and what does it mean for them.
1: We have to be invested in connectedness. Mm-hmm. As, as a department, as Mayo Clinic Labs, and honestly, as a society, because virtual is not the same as being face to face. And so we need to work at communication. I think even a lot of the stress we're seeing in, in society is that people just don't feel necessarily connected to the decisions or to the answers or to the concerns or that they understand. So if there's one thing I would take is really to invest now. In communication with your group, anyone listening, this is part of a group that's making decisions collectively more than likely. So work on that, those communications, and to really not be fooled in the virtual environment by, that by seeing people on Zoom calls and things that that substitutes for connectedness and reaching out. So mm. I think it's just critically important.
0: Well, that's a good point. We have all these cool virtual tools, but it's not having them, it's how you use them and how everyone's actually engaged with the process. Slido has been a neat tool that we've been using because it allows people to answer or to ask questions, which I think is kind of neat. And I like the ability and there's other systems out there that allow people to rank questions. So they come to the top. Mm-hmm. That way, if there's a question that's on everyone's mind, it can really go right up to the top.
1: Yep, exactly. Or an observation. Like yep. the, right. I, I was using Twitter during one and people like, what are you using Twitter for? I'm like, oops, I shouldn't have done that. So <laughs> I still a Twitter need a fight and I'm very distractible. Uh, but anyways, it's all, it's, but that kind of real feedback honestly is good because it's it, mm-hmm. what helps us improve as individuals because no one is perfect. No decision is perfect. So any decision that we make, we need to be open to the feedback from the people that are affected by it so we can understand where, where, where it's working and where it's not.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, for our listeners, I have some statistics on the town hall, which I could share, which I thought was kind of interesting. So to date, we've held 36 town halls. When we started in March, we had about 2,200 viewers each week. It's gone down a little bit, but we still have well over 1,000 viewers each week, uh, about 1,300 or so. And we started changing early on to have dedicated town halls just for human resources and policy related topics. So now 14 so far have been dedicated to human resources. And um, we had two specifically on diversity and inclusion topics. And uh, we've had very positive responses from everyone who's really appreciated this direct line to leadership every single week. One other Observation is that for any questions we don't get to, we still answer those questions and then post them on our internal web page for staff to see. So I think that's really cool, and we have about seventeen hundred people a month who are reading the Q and A's. So we know that people are actually reading those and using it as a resource.
1: Yeah, even now it's pretty amazing. So Yeah. yeah, and the feedback I've gotten from from people. Has been pretty remarkable. You know, just people have said how much mm-hmm. they've appreciated the town halls. And, and so, so I'm glad that we get to have the chance to talk about it, really. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks, Bill. Thanks for the continued communication from leadership. I've appreciated it. And I'm just one of many in our, of thousands in our department. And so any of our listeners may be hearing this and wondering how they can better communicate to people that are important in their life. And I think uh, there's some interesting lessons perhaps that could be applied more broadly.
1: Yeah, I agree, and and importantly, there are tools out there to help people. I mean, yes. I wouldn't have done this without really understanding and learning that there's a lot of support. So there's a lot of great tools out there. Table Group is one. So, uh, but there's many. So so take a look and uh, and and invest a little time, and I think you'll be very well rewarded.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Bill. It's always great talking to you.
1: Always always fun. We'll talk to you next week when the leaves are still be green.
0: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>